0: Key aero your aviation destination.
1: Historic Aviation.
0: Hello and uh, welcome to the Flypass podcast. This episode we're joined by Andrew Panton of the Lincolnshire Aviation Heritage Centre. Hi Andrew, thanks for joining us, how are you? I'm very good thank you, how are you? Yeah, not bad, not bad. So yeah, the Lincolnshire Aviation Heritage Centre, it's a bit of a mouthful, and I guess most of our listeners will know the centre is East Kirkby, in the home of Lancaster Just Jane. Maybe start a little bit with an introduction about the centre, what it is and where it is?
1: Okay, yeah. So the Lincolnshire Aviation Heritage Centre is a museum set up around Bomber Command. So it's RAF East Kirkby, or what used to be RAF East Kirkby, a small Lincolnshire village not far from the coast. And it's set up as a memorial to Bomber Command. Um, so it's on an original wartime airfield. It's got a Lancaster bomber here, a mosquito here. And the whole site is kind of taken back to World War Two, set up as it was during wartime as an operational airfield. And so there's the original control tower here set up as it was, and many of the original buildings as well. And this hut's all recreated to uh, briefing hut and billet hut and kind of feels like you're stepping back onto World War Two.
0: Absolutely. I mean, as you say, whenever you arrive there, you do feel like you are step back in time. But right at the moment you pull through the gates?
1: Yeah, it's something that we've tried to create, I guess, really, the atmosphere in the original buildings and a lot of the original items that would have been on a wartime airfield, whether it's physical items or machinery, vehicles, of course, the aircraft as well. It's about the only place you can go to that has a Lancaster bomber on an original wartime Bomber Command airfield. So uh, it's quite unique, I guess, in that respect.
0: I'd say it's pretty much unique. I can't think of anywhere else where you could actually see a Lancaster, where well, its engines going, never mind being able to sit in there and have a ride in one.
1: Yeah, it's nice to be able to uh, have public come and, uh, and experience the Lancaster to the fullest other than, than actually flying. So they can come on site and have catering and a briefing here and have a ride on board the aircraft um doing a, a kind of a, a mock takeoff, I guess. So taxiing out to the end of the runway and going up to higher power and running down the strip, um, almost like an aborted takeoff. So yeah, it's unique really, I guess, both in aviation experiences in this country and just in general, walking onto an original airfield like that.
0: And how the centre came about is quite a unique story as well. I mean, you're a family-run business, aren't you? So Fred and Harold Panton the names that most people will be
1: familiar with. Yeah, so the site, as you say, is a family-run business, a family-run centre. They're set up by Fred and Harold Panton. So they had a brother flying on Halifax bombers during the Second World War on bomber command, a brother called Christopher Panton. He was the eldest of the family. So, of course, Fred and Harold looked up to him an awful lot. There were eight children within the family. Harold was the youngest, ranging all the way up to Christopher so he was 19, flying on operations during the Second World War, and he was unfortunately lost on the Nuremberg Raid, 30th, 31st of March 44. So his loss affected the family greatly. And of course, as you can imagine, younger brothers looking up to Christopher, serving on operations and flying, doing every boy's dream, if you like, to be flying a wartime military aircraft and fighting for their country. So they looked up to Christopher an awful lot, and of course the loss of him had a huge effect on both Fred and Harold and the rest of the family. Of course, including Christopher's parents. So losing Christopher like that brought a lot of emotions for Fred and Harold, which stayed with them for all their life. And as they got older, they thought they really wanted to do something in memory of Chris and all of Bomber Command. So it eventually, morphed into what we have here at the Lincolnshire Aviation Heritage Centre. And I guess it was all really kicked off by Fred's father asking him to go over to Germany to find Chris's grave, take some photos of it, and show them to his father because at that point. They didn't know where Chris was buried, what really had happened to him or anything like that. So it's very much a research operation for Fred to go over to Germany, find all the details, take some photos of the grave, which at that time was at a Dernbach War Cemetery, and show them to Fred and Harold's father. And he passed away not too long after that. So that kind of reignited all the interest and the passion in the family to do something for Chris and Bomber Command. And a, a few weeks after Fred came back from Germany... There was an advert in the paper saying there's a Lancaster Bomber for sale at Squires Gate at Blackpool. So it's perfect timing for the interest being reignited and the thought of doing something as a memorial to Christopher and Bomber Command and with the Lancaster coming up for sale like that, it really started the process of what we have here at East Kirkbean. I mean, you say the timing for that must have been phenomenal, because how often do you find a Lancaster for sale? Yeah, that's it. You can't help but think it was meant to be. So the sale at Blackpool there, that Lancaster didn't actually sell during the auction. Fred went along while Harold stayed on the farm and he looked at the bidding and never actually raised sufficient bids to reach its reserve price. So it never actually sold. It actually sold after the auction to a gentleman called Lord Lilford. who had a private sale after the auction. So it took 16 years from Fred and Harold originally seeing the Lancaster to eventually purchasing it and moving it here to East Kirkby. They managed to stay in touch with Lord Lilford during the time that he was owning the aircraft. He stayed at Squires Gate for a long time. Lord Lilford's original plan was to take it over to Jersey and do sightseeing tours around Jersey with it, but that never came to fruition, whether he didn't realise the condition the aircraft was in and what work could be needed or whether other plans fell apart, I don't know. But Fred and Howard managed to stay in touch with him and his agent and eventually managed to be given first refusal of the aircraft as and when Lord Lilford was fed up of it or couldn't stand the cost of it any further. And that happened in the early 80s and Fred and Howard purchased the aircraft in 83 left it on the gate at RAF Scampton still to see out It's I think it was down for a 15-year period on the gate it was supposed to be there for. So it had to see out that period, then they could move it here to East Coatbeam.
0: So was Fred and Harold's plan all along to get it to fly, or was it literally just to have a memorial and a hangar somewhere?
1: Yeah, the plan changed as it went along. So originally, they just wanted to purchase the aircraft. I mean, originally, had they bought it at the auction, they would have purchased the aircraft in the early 70s there and moved it to their farm that they had at Stickford, which is very much in the country here in Lincolnshire. So they just moved it to the farm and had it stood there. Now, it's a good job really that they didn't manage to buy it at the time because it would have just stood outside at the farm and no one would really have got to have seen it and who knows what might have happened to it had it been just left outside on the farm. But as it worked out, as time went on, they managed to buy part of the airfield here at East Kirkby and while they knew they had first refusal of the aircraft once Lord Dulford wanted to sell it, so they bought the airfield here in preparation for it. They put a hanger up here in preparation. And their original thought was we'll just put it here under cover on the farm here at East Kirkby, the old airfield site, and then we can just go and have a look at it when we want. If we've got someone come over, a family friend come over, they can come and have a look at it, come and have a sit inside it. There wasn't really the thought to creating a museum as such. It was just an item as a memorial to Christopher and Bomber Command. It was only really after the the aircraft was moved here and A few people came to see it. It was really the thought that you can't just lock this aircraft away for no one to see it. It's got to be appreciated by the whole of the country and anybody who wants to come and see it and remember Bomber Command. So that really sparked the start of the Lincolnshire Aviation Heritage Centre and the Aviation Museum that we have here now. Really the thought of being able to share the aircraft with people and anybody who wants to see a Lancaster being able to come and see it. It was very much a step in the dark of putting all the funds in to buy the aircraft, put the hangar up, set up the museum. Open the gates and the thought of will anybody come? There's obviously no assurances that if you start a museum, that anyone's actually going to come and visit it. So they had people say to them that, uh, oh, they'll be shut down in a year, no one's going to go. A lot of doubters and things about the whole project. But here we are, over 30 years later, and currently and hopefully going from strength to strength with the centre.
0: I mean, you can see why the doubters would say that because even just getting permission in this day and age of health and safety to have a Lancaster running in front of people. And then being able to offer taxi rides to people, that that must be an absolute nightmare trying to work out insurances and health and safety regulations, trying to work your way around those. Yeah,
1: because we've gone at it piece by piece over 30 years, it's kind of come to a slow time, item by item. I think if you were to set about now wanting to open up a museum with aviation experiences and heavy aircraft taxiing, and operating around with public around. I think you'd be scared off by the red tape and bureaucracy and everything required to actually do the job and do the experiences. But because we've been doing it over the last 30 years and progressing a step at a time, I guess we've just taken on more and more as time's gone on and ticked the boxes as we've gone and it's eventually grown into what we have now. But yes, I don't envy anybody that would like to set up from scratch now and try to do what we're doing here because it would be a mammoth task to do that in a short period of time. It's something you've been offering for quite some time now, the taxi
0: rides, but have you seen any sort of drop off in popularity or have they become even more popular as time has gone on?
1: No, I'd say they're becoming more and more popular. We've been taxing the aircraft since 1995 and as time has gone on, we've done it more and more regularly, starting with one day a week and up to two days a week now. And yeah, it's proving very popular. It's priced so that many people can afford it rather than being thousands of pounds and only a few people can afford it. So hopefully... The experience in the centre is open to people from all different walks of life, all colours, creeds, different bank accounts, so to speak. So different people of different wealth can all come and experience the centre, which is just what Bomber Command was. It was people from all different walks of life and there were no rules about having to be a millionaire to join Bomber Command. So we don't want to be operating the aircraft in the museum so that only the rich and the elite can come and experience it. So as long as we can keep offering the experiences with the aircraft at an affordable price.
0: As experiences go, it is a very affordable one and it's a great gift. I mean, I had one bought for me for my fortieth birthday and my family sort of clubbed together. And I have to say it's one of those sort of money can't buy experiences,
1: but money can buy it. But it's one of those things that it absolutely blows you away when you do it. Good. Yeah, well thank you very much for coming. We have a whole range of different sorts of people that come to the experiences, but somehow they've all been touched by a Lancaster in some way, whether it's from being a kid and watching the Dan Busters film or whether it's having a relative that flew on Bomber Command. So generally, they've all got an interest in it for a start. But what we find is that a lot of people that come and bring a guest, so whether a husband brings his wife with him on one of the days, actually, when you start talking to the guests and the people, who their experience is not actually for them, but you actually start talking to them about it, and they start to get interested in all the personal stories and the personal aspect of Bomber Command operations and the crew you actually find that they get a lot out of the experience as well. So it's just not those that have had a ride on board the aircraft. It's those that might just have had a look on board with the guests that's having the ride and just been a part of the day and been around the aircraft and the history and the personal stories of those that actually flew on Bomber Command operations or as ground crew throughout the wartime period. So I think there's just something about Bomber Command, about Lancasters, about the personal sacrifices during the Second World War that, even if you don't know you're interested, it really does spark an interest in it as time goes on. One of the things I really liked as well on the day of my taxi ride was the staff there asked you if you have any
0: connection to Bomber Command or a relative who might have flown in a certain position. And then they tried to find you a place on the aircraft that you could sort of experience where your relative might have sat. Well, that was a nice touch.
1: Yeah, we tried to get any veterans that might come back, back into their original crew position if they wanted to go into it. And then anybody that had a family member that flew on Bomber Command Lancaster during the Second World War to try and get them back into their position. Because nine times out of 10, they're doing the experience because they want to kind of connect with their relative, experience a little bit of what their relative might have experienced on Lancasters during the war. So it's important for us that people get as much out of the experience as they can do. And hopefully, if people have managed to get to the position that they want to on the aircraft, it all helps towards that. We get people ask us, uh, "Oh, what's the best position on the aircraft? What's the best one to get a view out from, and all that sort of thing?" But everybody does the experience for a different reason. You can't say that the cockpit is a better position to the middle of a turret or the bomb aim is better than the rear turret because people are all doing this experience for different reasons. And one person's prime position might well be bomb aimer, whereas another person's might be cockpit. So we've had a lot of people ask us about wanting to book a particular position, and oh, they'll pay more to be in the cockpit and things like that. But we don't feel that it should be a case that we grade the positions on the aircraft and then charge more depending on the grade that we give them. Each crew member was a volunteer. They each suffered the same possible loss rate and stood the same chances of coming back. And they're all equally vital to the operating of the aircraft, regardless of which position they were. So that's the way we look at it, really.
0: And there is no bad
1: seat in a Lancaster either. If you're having a taxi well, I mean, they're all a phenomenal place to sit. Yeah, I would like to think so. Um, there's very little opportunity in the world to go on an operating Lancaster. So it's either us here or flying in Canada. So I guess any opportunity to be on board is a good one. And you shouldn't, I guess, be able to have a bad experience on a Lancaster. I wouldn't think so anyway. No,
0: I remember when I had mine, I was sort of in the wireless operator area. And I thought, well, I'm not going to get a great view from here. But then I realized I was right between the engines and I had a fantastic view of each one of those starting up. And I was right in the heart of it. So. There was nothing at all disappointing about the day. I mean, it delivered on every
1: front. Good. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people ask, where can I get the best view out? And one of the things we say in briefing is that as you're looking out of the aircraft, you're looking out at modern day 2021. It's only when you actually look into the aircraft, you're looking back at 1940s, 1945. And that's your best opportunity to actually connect really with the historical aspects of the aircraft and what it did during wartime. It is original as it was during wartime. So looking out, you're looking into modern day, looking in, you're looking back at what those men would have looked at in the 1940s. That's key to it really is if you want to get an experience of what the veterans experienced back in wartime, then looking back inside the aircraft is the key to it rather than looking out at the public waving at you as you go along. Looking at all the original wartime items and the original aircraft is the key to really experiencing as much of the wartime feel of the place as you can do. And also every penny that people spend on these rides, they go towards supporting
0: Just Jane and your efforts to return out to the skies at some point.
1: Yeah, that's it. So the centre as a whole, whether it's buying a drink in the naffy here or something out the shop or being a member of the rivet club or having a tax ride on the aircraft, it all gets ploughed back into the centre and the operating of the Lancaster restoration of it to airworthy condition. And it is purely the centre being open and people coming to visit and doing these experiences that funds the restoration work to the Lancaster. So it's people's support that keeps this place running and the memorial going as it is and the actual restoration work to get the aircraft back to airworthy conditions. So it takes an awful lot of work, but it's also very rewarding being able to let people experience a little bit about Bomber Command and Lancasters and fulfilling some people's childhood dreams and things. So we are very grateful of people's support and what they do while they're at the centre to help us to restore this aircraft and the museum back to its former glory.
0: And of course, I mean, restoring the Lancaster that's going to impact a little bit on what you can
1: offer and when for the taxi rides. Will there become a point when you have to say no more? So the way we're operating the restoration and the taxi rides at the moment is we have six months of taxiing. So kind of May through to November, we taxi the aircraft and then six months of restoration work on the Lancaster during the winter. The way that we're doing the restoration work is kind of in bite-sized pieces. So we're quite fortunate that the Lancaster is a sectional aircraft So the fuselage comes apart in sections, the wings come apart in sections. So we are doing a section at a time of restoration work, bolting it back together again, doing the taxi runs during the summer, take it apart again in the winter, so on and so forth. That's all good up to a point until you get to a section of the aircraft, which will take longer than a six-month period to restore, or you have to break it down over a period of time, do the work and build it back up again, and you can't stop and start in between times to allow for taxiing. So the larger parts of the aircraft that are going to cause that sort of a problem are things like the centre section and the cockpit area, which might mean that we have to stop taxiing for a year or so to actually complete the restoration work. But we're crafting ways around that at the moment We're starting projects and working with the organisations, other the museums to work the project so that we can continue taxiing the aircraft throughout the summer while we do the restoration work in the winter. Yeah, I believe we've just ran
0: something in the magazine about you've done an exchange on some wingtips, which will accelerate your restoration
1: time frame. Yeah, so we've just launched two different agreements with other museums and other organisations, which will help our restoration work and let us continue to taxi the aircraft during the summer. The first of those that we started was an agreement with the South Yorkshire Air Museum at Doncaster. They have the rear fuselage section of KB976, which was uh, originally the Strathallan Lancaster Um, and Charles Church had the hangar collapse on it while it was being restored. So the rear section of that has gone to South Yorkshire Air Museum eventually, and Kermit Weeks bought a lot of the rest of it as well. So we've got an agreement with South Yorkshire Air Museum that we'll restore that rear fuselage section to a taxiing condition, swap it out with our rear fuselage. So we'll taxi with the rear fuselage of KB976, which gives us the opportunity to restore our rear fuselage to airworthy condition. And once that's done, we'll swap them back again. South Yorkshire Museum will get their fuselage back and we'll have an airworthy rear fuselage, which hasn't had us stop taxi runs and things in order to finish the project. It's allowing us to continue the taxi runs during summer, which raise the funds for the restoration work. The second piece of work we're doing as well is a wing project. So we've opened up our wing project with a GoFundMe appeal as well. So I help raise funds for the wing work. And we're working with a French organisation using the wings of. WU-21, a Mark 7 Lancaster which flew with the French just as our Lancaster here did. Um, So we're using the wings off that aircraft, restoring them to a taxiing condition and then swapping them out with our wings to allow us to restore our wings over a longer period of time but also still taxi the Lancaster during the summer.
0: It sounds like an awful lot of work but it's actually not just benefiting just Jane. As you say, it's the other aircrafts who are donating bits that will then get better bits back in return.
1: Yeah, that's it. The whole thing of this project is It's not just benefiting us, as you say, it's benefiting the world of Lancasters as a whole, if you want to put it that way. It's benefiting the world of warbirds with more parts of Lancasters getting restored and in a good condition. So the Lancaster over in France, just outside Paris at Le Bourget, that one, they are restoring to a good static condition. And one of the only things they can't really tackle is the wings. But with us using their wings, it enables us to build jigs. It enables us to learn about the wings and how you work on them, what there is inside of the wings before we actually start an hour wing project to airworthy condition. So what we learn from those French wings, the time it takes to make the jigs and the downtime for the aircraft, all of that is a real benefit to us being able to do that with the French wings before we start on hours. So what we lose in time and manpower and funds actually doing the French work, we gain back tenfold in the benefits of what we learned from those French wings and having the jigs already made ready for our wings to go in. So what we're doing is we're looking at the world of Lancasters as a whole and what can be done, what we're doing that can help anybody that has a Lancaster rather than just looking inwardly, if you like, at our project and doing solely our project regardless of what anybody else is trying to achieve. So hopefully by the time we've restored our Lancaster to airworthy, many other Lancaster projects will have benefited as well. Well, that's what we're hoping at least. What else can people do to help your project? I mean, you mentioned the Rivet Club and what sort of things do you offer to people who want to get involved? As you mentioned, the Rivet Club there, we have a supporters association purely for the restoration of the Lancaster and that's what we call the Rivet Club. So that's a monthly donation to the restoration work starting from £3 up to anything that you would like to give on a monthly recurring donation. And for that, you would get emails during the summer monthly emails which tell you about the restoration work that we're doing which then goes to weekly emails during the winter period while we do the heavy restoration work in the winter so you learn about all the different trials and tribulations the work that's going on the troubles we're having and really the detail to the whole project there's quite a few subscribers to that now it's going quite well that itself is raising in the region of about eighty thousand pounds a year with the rivet club so that's a real benefit to the project And it also means that we're opening the project up to anybody who's interested as well. It's not something that we're trying to keep hidden from people. It's something that we want to share with people what's going on. And if they can give a little bit back to the project that benefits the project as well, then that's ideal, really. So we have the Rivet Club. We also have a supporters association for the museum as well. So anybody who's a silver or a gold supporters member of the centre, they also benefit from getting the Rivet Club emails. But they also have free admission to the centre as well. So they can physically come and see the work that's going on as well. But anybody who buys anything from the centre, does any experiences here, that's all benefiting the restoration work to the Lancaster. It's all going to the funding of the project as a whole. And the whole project, we've got to find about £4 million for the whole project. So it is quite a sum to be finding.
0: I mean, we've spoken a lot about it just, Jane, but as you said, the centre itself, there's so many things of interest that people could come and view when just Jane isn't taxiing around or when it is a bit colder outside. So there's an awful lot you can come and enjoy at East Kirby, isn't there?
1: Yeah, so at the moment, the hangar's kind of split into two sections. So there's the restoration workshop where you can see all the work going on to the Lancaster parts. There's also the display part of the hangar, which holds the Lancaster and the Mosquito, Percival Proctor, which is being restored, wartime vehicles, crash relics for the crashed in Lincolnshire and lots of other memorabilia as well. But there's not only the hangar on site, there's Nissen huts, there's the original control tower, the original mess building from RAF Manby, which is now our Naffy here. Memorial Chapel, all different displays about escape museums. So the escape museum about um, escaping invasion during the Second World War. There's a Hamden that's being restored, a set of Wellington wings. So it's quite an extensive museum all about Pommer Command. So as you say, on a wet winter's day, there's still a lot to be gained from coming to the center and seeing what's going on with the lancaster as well as visiting the rest of the museum the rest of the site so it's not purely about the lancaster here it's about bomber command as a whole and what can be learnt from all the different personal experiences of those that served with bomber command one of the displays in the hangar is full of thousands of photographs and personal experience stories from those that flew on bomber command so there's an awful lot to be learnt from sitting down and reading all those different personal experiences the center is kind of on several levels so for those that visit the museum, just to have a look around everything, read the titles and go back again, you can do that. Or if you really, really are interested and want to spend many hours here, you can sit down and look at each photo, read each different personal story. So it's good for research as much as it is for uh, just casting your eye over the overall bomber command experience.
0: Well, as you say, I mean it's a total immersive experience. As soon as you arrive, you're on a World War II airfield. I mean that in itself is of interest and then you exhibits i mean i can honestly say that since last time i came i think that a lot of things have changed
1: yeah good we do try to keep things moving keep things altering because we want people to keep coming back and if they come back every year and nothing's changed then eventually they're going to stop coming back so we're trying to adapt things all the time we're always renovating buildings and working on maintenance as well to keep the buildings in good condition because they are original And if they fall apart on us, then the whole site loses its originality. So we're always adding new displays, always adapting things, always buying things for the centre, whether it be new vehicles or more vehicles or new items and special items, all linked with personal stories around them as well. So we are always trying to adapt and grow the centre so people can keep coming back. And of course, you have various shows and events throughout the year as well. On the day we were there, you were setting up for the Lanks and Tanks show. How did that one go? Yeah, it went very well, thank you. As you say, we have several events through the year, which really do boost the takings for the Lancaster project. So we have our air show at the start of August, which is usually a capacity event. So the site itself can hold 5,500 people, and the air show, you, well, fingers crossed, and touchwood usually sells out. And then we have our reenactment event, which is the Lank Tank and Military Machines event that you were talking about. And that's where the whole site kind of transforms everything back to original wartime. So we have a lot of reenactors here, then we had about 350 reenactors on site for that weekend this year, about 100 military vehicles, flying displays, of course, the Lancaster and the Mosquito here taxi as well. So it is very much stepping back and kind of submersing yourself in everything wartime and 1940s. And then we have different things like our firework event with the county's biggest firework display. And one of the only times you can see the Lancaster and Mosquito actually working at nighttime in their original environment. So, yeah, we do try to always do something different and something new for the public, whether it's an event or a display, something that people can kind of get very much interactive with the center and feel like they're a part of something which is always getting better and better. They can always come back and visit over bank holidays and hopefully experience something new and something better each year. And for someone who wants to keep tabs on what shows and events you've got coming camera, can we direct them towards your website? So is that the best place for them to go? Yeah. So our website holds all the information about the Lancaster restoration and how it can be supported. and. The different events that we hold at the site, and that's www.linksaviation.co.uk.
0: Brilliant! I think that's a good place to leave it, and I'm sure we'll talk to you again at some point about the restoration of Just Jane. But for now, thanks very much for joining us, Andrew. Thank you, it's
1: been my pleasure. This has been a
0: podcast from Key Aero, your aviation destination. Remember, visit
1: www.keyaero for more of the same. Thanks for stopping by and we hope to catch up with you again soon.